Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 4 of Killinois with Birdman in town. This is Bird, and as always, the often beautiful and sometimes funny, Cam. Cam, how you doing? Relaxing uh-huh. with the pets and the boyfriend, having a good time. I'm really excited about this one, though. Yes, we are. We have been talking about this for weeks, and really, I, this this I, it was probably much in mind, you know, before we even started. But like, how are you going to do a podcast called Killinois without doing John Wayne Gacy? Exactly. Like he That's is, he's on like the if you have a. I don't know anybody be sick enough to do this, but if you have a Mount Rushmore of serial killers in America, his, American history, that man is on there. A.K.A. he'd be the dollar bill of serial killers. He'd be the George Washington of serial killers. I, I, I think I, I think Ted Money might challenge him on that. Well, maybe maybe Dahmer. In Illinois. Yeah, Illinois. In Illinois. So, I guess the penny, maybe. <laughs> And that said, before we go into this, uh, we have to, we really have to start with a disclaimer. And uh, should you do it or should I? Uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just do this real quick since we forgot last time until the end. We're just here to report and we're just stating facts that we found. So if there's anything that we say incorrectly, um, if there's anything that we say that offends the prosecuted or the victims of the situation we're talking about, Please let us know. Please correct us. Um, even if you have a freaking story from Illinois, we would love to hear it. We will talk about it. Um, but email us at killinoispodcast at gmail.com. If you can't spell Killinois, it's a K in front of Illinois. Yeah. Pretty easy. And you can find us on Facebook, Killinois with Bird and Cam. Um, but let us know. Share some fun with us. we got some fun stories, actually. That's why I'm so excited about this. John Wayne Gacy is being from Illinois. Uh-huh. You know, <laughs> that's true that's true so that that said you ready to do the fucking thing i'm ready to fucking do the thing let's do the thing so we start with john wayne gacy who was born in chicago illinois shark town on march 17 1942 he was the only son and the second of three children born to john stanley gacy an auto repair mechanic and world war one veteran and his wife marion elaine robinson a homemaker now, as a young child, John Jr. was loving and eager to please. A neighbor recalled that he enjoyed helping his mother garden. Even as a boy, the neighbor said he was a hard worker. Rarely, however, he was unable to please his father, whose meticulous standards of craftsmanship the boy was unable to meet. When John Jr. would fail, his father would often call him stupid. Uh, once Marion Gacy had found a bag full of her underpants under the porch where John played, John liked the feeling of silk or nylon, but later in a psychiatric interview, John later recalled that his mother had made him wear a pair of her underpants to embarrass him. And even worse, when his his younger sister recalled that her father whipped him with a leather strap after he was told about it. See, this is where it gets a little weird, because back then, it's 1940s, that's... The underwear wearing things not I don't think really common, but the whole whipping with the leather strap with the leather belt discipline was kind of common then. Yeah. Um, but going into our uh, continuing with Gacy, um, Gacy himself told the court psychiatrist and his psychosexual history began between the ages of six and ten. 
When a teenage daughter of one of his mother's friends undressed him and played with him. He also recalled wrestling at age eight or nine with a contractor who liked to pin Gacy's head between or under his legs. I had quotation marks, if you didn't know that. <laughs> but between the ages 10 and 12, he got a severe beating from his father after a girl complained that Gacy and her brother had taken off her underpants. Mm. So at a particularly young age, we see that Gacy is exposed to sex, and this is a very crucial point. Um, it's very important to point out as we further detail his adult life. And he was an intelligent child, Gacy, but at the end of his grade school years, he was given to daydreaming in class and was developing a resistance to his teachers. He actually began to suffer from a series of seizures and fainting spells and was periodically hospitalized. These episodes actually continued into his adult life. So despite getting good grades throughout middle and high school, Gacy abruptly dropped out and angered over his situation at home not being in school, departed without notice for to Las Vegas to work at a mortuary. Now, according to the manager of that mortuary following Gacy's downfall, he praised Gacy as a hardworking employee and thought that it was unlikely that Gacy ever had much contact with the bodies other than unloading the ambulances and said that he never heard any complaints about them. Not much later, Gacy returned to Chicago, where he quickly found the sort of work and sales that would hone his manipulative talents to the forefront by taking his job with the Nunbush Shoe Company. And that job would send him to Springfield, Illinois. Shout out to Springfield, UIS family. There we go. And being that it is the state capital, it was there where he got his first taste for political involvement. And it's also in Springfield that he met his first wife, who he married after just a nine-month courtship. Think about that. Mm-hmm. Nine mm-hmm. months. Now you've Do you been... even know someone in nine months? Ugh. See, I don't know how they used to do it back in the 50s and 60s. Now. You've been with your beloved for about three years. I mean, nine yeah. months. <laughs> we still don't know each other. <laughs> That's right. That's the best about being together for so long. It's yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so after his apprenticeship, Gacy was promoted to manager of his department. When his wife gave birth to their son, he was described as a typically proud father. As a neighbor noted that he was both loving and attentive to his son, and he seemed to be the devoted parent. Uh, And following after that, he had another child. And that said, we can infer that Gacy had a very peculiar, if not troubled, childhood. But with his new family, his reputation for hard work, it seems that Gacy appeared headed for a bright future. As from Springfield, he moved to Waterloo, Iowa to become a manager of a few Kentucky Fried Chicken franchises owned by his father-in-law. But it is in Waterloo that the first cracks in the facade really begin to form in the perception of John Gacy. And as Gacy and his family settles into Waterloo, he becomes involved with the Jaycees. It's a leadership, training, and civic organization. He quickly boosts his social profile in the area, goes all in in helping the JCs thrive, and with his charismatic charm, he wins over a lot of his colleagues. However, there was a dark side to JCs, one where many members congregated in such vice activities, such as pornography and prostitution, and Gacy indulges himself right into the thick of it. He actually set up a social club in his basement recreation area where 
For the payment of monthly dues, male employees were free to drink beer, other alcoholic beverages, and mind you guys, the employees were underage too. And this is where it gets really creepy. But... Go in case he had a pool table, which is awesome because pool tables are cool when you're young like that. And it was here where he started to devise the strategy of challenging boys to game for a blowjob. Oh. Even worse, if there can be such a thing as worse, if Gacy ended up failing at that, he tried a pseudoscientific approach. The governor of Illinois, he told the boys, had commissioned him to conduct sexual experiments, such as heterosexual but mostly homosexual in the interest of scientific inquiry. He even had a certificate attesting to his membership on a sexual commission. And unfortunately, kids and teens are imp- in permission. Yeah, I can't say that word. Imper- yeah, impressionable. Yeah, we go. I think that's where you're going. There we go. Impress- oh, uh-huh. there we go. Impressionable <laughs> at such a young age. They, they take him up on that offer. So, so this goes on for a while, believe it or not. And this goes on until... The summer of 1967, until two teens, one 16 and one 15-year-old, had encounters with Gacy that, well, it became violent. Now, in the case of the 16-year-old, Gacy tried that pull for head tactic, and when that failed, he coerced the teen to put chains on his wrist for a magic trick of sorts. And when the teen was cuffed, Gacy asked if he can get out, which the teen replied, no, and that gave Gacy calls to make further sexual advances. The team fought back, kicking Gacy in the mandules and tried to escape, but Gacy quickly recovered and attempted to strangle the team with the chain. And it was then that the team feigned unconsciousness until Gacy realized that the team was dead. At least he thought he was dead. But when he realized that he was still awake, Gacy uncuffed him and let him go. Now, the 16-year-old did not reveal any of this until a chance encounter with 15-year-old who, while he was not an employee of Gacy's performance, uh, perform odd membership, he still did odd jobs for him. Uh, after the 16-year-old team told the 15-year-old his ordeal, the latter shared his disturbing interaction with Gacy, where over a course of several months, Gacy took him to a motel where the team was coerced and given alcohol and forced to give him, perform oral sex on him. This is really brutal, sick shit indeed. And What's worse, I guess there can be any kind of worse, the teen was threatened afterwards each time by Gacy that should he contact the police, should he contact his parents or any try to get any help, he had organized crime contacts in Chicago that would act on spur of the moment notice and inflict grave harm on a teen. Now mind you, this is the 60s in Chicago, organized crime was still a pretty big thing. Yeah. Fortunately, though, <clears throat> the teens strum- strummed up the courage to tell their parents, which I would have done immediately. But they did go to the law enforcement, and it would take a year of further investigation. And at times, because of Gacy's influence in the community, it was it looked like it was going to be a standstill. But in the August of 1968, Gacy ordered an acquaintance to physically assault one of the the victims for $300. $300. $300. Jesus Christ. The acquaintance, an 18-year-old teen, was arrested and additionally charged in retaliation to hiring Schroeder to assault and intimidate Verhees. Ver- Verhees. 
Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's the yeah. Oh, we're renaming names now. Uh, the name was we John Schroeder was the eighteen year old acquaintance, and uh, I was almost said Jason Voorhees, but oh no, that's not the. <laughs> but yeah, yes. you're stuck with all this shit. Yeah. So we keep seeing this pattern of Gacy really manipulating these young men to do his bidding, as if he has this fucking spell on him, and it's just really unnerving when you try to analyze it. But the plan went awry, and on September 1st, 1968, Gacy was charged with sodomy and additionally charged alongside the 18-year-old with assault. Oh, oh, oh. So on September 12th, Gacy was ordered to go a psychiatric evaluation by the University of Iowa. And two doctors who examined Gacy over a period of 70 day, uh, 17 days concluded that he had antisocial personality disorder and was unlikely to benefit from any therapy or medical treatment and that his behavior pattern was likely to bring him to repeated conflict in society. So conclude that he was mentally competent to stand trial and after all that you think with two counts of sodomy and assault what do you think how much do you think he would get and being a competent individual Uh don't forget that part he was convicted of sodomy on December 3rd 1968 and sentenced to 10 years at the Anamorosa state sounds like Amorosa (laughs) Anamorosa State Penitentiary at Anamosa. There we go. Anamosa, Iowa. That same day, Gacy's wife petitioned for divorce, requesting possession of the couple's home, property, sold custody of their two children, and subsequent alimony payments. The court ruled in her favor and the divorce was finalized on September 18, 1969, and Gacy never saw his first wife or his children again. Damn, we should find those kids. Oh, boy. That'd be crazy. Crazy, crazy. Right? Oh. In in his incarceration in the Anamosa State Penitentiary, Gacy acquired a reputation as a model prisoner. And within months of his arrival, he had risen to the position of head cook. He also had joined the inmate JC chapter and increased their membership figure from fifty to six hundred fifty in the daily pay. Oh, I'm sorry, in less, excuse me, from 50 to 650 in the span of less than 18 months. You sure know how to flip it, Gail. Yeah, goodness gracious. He's very charismatic, he must be. (laughs) But he's also known to have both secured an increase in the inmates' daily pay in the prison mess hall and has supervised several projects to improve conditions for inmates in the prison. This guy is an all-around good guy, or so it seems. Uh In June 1969, Gacy first applied to the state of Iowa Board of Parole for early release. This application was denied. In preparation for a second scheduled parole hearing in May 1970, Gacy completed 16 high school courses for which he obtained his diploma in November 1969. Oof, 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 oof. So, on Christmas Day 1969, Gacy's father died of cirrhosis of the liver all that drinking to do you it's kind of fucked up how gacy receives this to be honest because he wasn't even told of the news until two days after his father's death and when he heard of what happened gacy was said to have collapsed on the floor sopping uncontrollably and had to be supported by prison staff and even though they had a turbulent relationship gacy appeared to look up to him and it appears to that 
all of his earlier accomplishments, it seems that he it was partly done to get the gratification from his father that he seeked all of his life, but unfortunately never got. And Gacy was paroled, was granted parole with 12 months probation on June 18, 1970, after serving 18 months of his 10-year sentence. Two of the conditions of his probation were was that Gacy would relocate to Chicago to live with his mother, and that he was to observe a 10 p.m. curfew with the Iowa Border Patrol of parole, receiving regular updates to his progress. He arrived in Chicago on June 19, 19, uh, 1970, and shortly thereafter obtained a job as a short order cook in a restaurant. And it appears to me, and I know I'll speak on behalf of you too, Cammy, but this is just lax punishment. It's all bloody hell. You got two, two counts of sodomy. Underage teens, mind you, tried to threaten, threaten both of them. He's conflicted for these depraved, deviant acts. In case nearly killing one of the victims. Hopefully he's a changed man. He did go to prison for, what what was it, 18 months? Yeah. 28 months? I don't know. Talk about a slap on a wrist. Yeah, exactly. Another one. That's a second second slap on the wrist, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And I do feel like he did really feel his father's... uh, his father's death, you know, no matter what happens between family, they're still your parents kind of thing. Very true. Um, but that's bullshit. Casey should have been in longer. And I'm thinking, but, I don't know if, my bad to cut you off, but I don't know if they had, I don't know how, how the justice system worked back in those days, but they didn't, he didn't register as a sex offender. Oh, that's wow. right. Maybe they didn't. Maybe that's why they started it. Uh-huh. Very I mean, I, I've heard a story to why they actually started it, but I don't think it has to do with Gacy. Ah, that's a fact. But I was thinking, since he owned the KFCs, do you think any of those KFC chickens were made out of human? Oh! That was a theory. Ooh, I had a conspiracy theory. Really? We'll talk about that. Oh, that... That will be on a different day, we'll say. Thank God I eat Popeyes. So... <laughs> Gacy moves back in the Chicago area, getting a house in Norwood Park Township in the Burbs. Uh, the address, 8213 West Somerdale Avenue, would be his infamous kill room and burial plot of sites of sorts. But we are getting definitely ahead of ourselves, so we'll get there. We will get there. So in August 1971, he becomes engaged to Carol Hoff, a divorcee with two young daughters whom she, uh, he briefly dated in high school. Following the marriage, his new wife and stepdaughters moved into Somerdale House, and Gacy would start his own construction business, PDM Contractors. The business initially undertook repair work as sign writing, pouring concrete, and redecorating, but over the years expanded to include projects such as interior design, remodeling, installation, assembly, and landscaping, and by 1978, the gross of PDM's annual turnover was over 200,000. So he was making that bank. Damn. He knows what he's doing. Mm -hmm. So, again, it appears that Gacy has turned his life around. And he's seen the er errors of his ways. And it seemed he started brand new. New chapter, new him. But, folks, we call this the fucking Illinois with Bird and Cam. Ain't that the truth. For a fucking reason. And on that note, we take you to January 2nd, 1972. Gacy's at the Greyhound bus terminal in downtown Chicago. He spots a team, later revealed as Timothy Gack, or, excuse me, Timothy Jack McCoy. 
a 16-year-old traveling from Michigan to Nebraska. And back then, this was more uh, common for kids that age to be traveling on their own. Um, That's probably how you want kids to do it, but... (laughs) I know know people who did. I know know people who who did, which was weird. I never did that. I was a little scaredy cat. Yeah. But um, what we begin to notice is Gacy invited McCoy for a rendezvous at Gacy's house, which was empty as his second wife and stepdaughters were away on holiday vacation. Mm-mm-mm. The two men had sex and then went to sleep. So it seemed like a pretty good night. When he awoke, <laughs> Gacy saw the man coming at him with a knife. He said the man stabbed him in the right forearm. And they fought and fought and Gacy got the knife and he got it away from him and then Gacy had to stab him to death. But he then buried him in his crawl space. The future final destination for subsequent victims. And there, Gacy has ex- escalated to a sexual deviancy, violence, and now murder. Just like that. Sounds like that rehab worked out, huh? Yeah, it seemed to work really well for him. He learned some new things. Jeez. So Gacy would not knowingly commit another murder until January of 1974. The victim was believed to have been a teenage youth with medium brown hair estimated to be between 14 and 18 years old, but he was never identified. But what is known is that Gacy strangled the teen before stowing the youth's body in his closet prior to the burial. Gacy later stated that fluid leaked out of the youth's mouth and nose as he was stored in a closet, staining his carpet. As a (laughs) result... Yeah. As a result... As a result of this experience, Gacy later stated that he regularly stuffed cloth rags or the, on the victim's own underwear in their mouths. What the fuck? Wow. To, to, to prevent a reoccurrence of this incident, the, this particular unidentified victim was buried about 15 feet from the barbecue pit in Gacy's backyard. And I tell you folks, this type of stuff is not for the weak of heart. And that's for damn sure. So he knows what he's doing because yeah. he's fixing his heirs instead of, um, you know, turning himself in. He's just fixing his heirs, making sure nobody fucking finds it. Yeah. What is it? Two dead bodies now? So, How do people not smell them? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But there was another victim in that time. Around that time frame. Someone Gacy described as a drag queen who danced for him at the house. He was real weird, he said. God, didn't put people on earth to do that. Gacy read him a verse from the Bible. Yeah. Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Almost did Gangster's Paradise. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. He then twisted the rope twice. After he was done reading uh, to his victim the 23rd Palm before twisting the rope the final time. Oh. So he read him the Bible, the verse. And Psalms 23 of all verses. Like, oh, man. So, oh, that's just ridiculous. And you. So, is he hating on everybody or people that aren't supposed to be here through um, what the Bible says? Huh. That's, wow. That's a. Very excellent point. And like maybe he's really not into homosexuality and it's all just a setup because he's super manipulative to be with I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. 
So, by 1975, the PDM business was rapidly growing by his later admission. Well, as we said, 200,000 years. So, he began working 12 to 16 hour days to fulfill the Greek commitments upon an increasing number of contacts. And much that said, he had to get a lot of help. And much of the labor workforce of PDM contractors consisted of high school students and young men. And that. As we know, this is just really coming off as playing as Russian roulette with a full clip. Now, He's talking boners for days. So one of these youths was a 15-year-old named Anthony Antonucci, who Gacy had hired in May 1975. Now, the case of Antonucci is unique in that he is one of the known victims of Gacy that essentially lived to tell the tale. And we also get a glimpse of Gacy's modus operandi, pretty much in layman's terms, his murder routine. In Ju- so, in July of that year, Gacy arrived at the Antonucci house while the youth was alone, having injured his foot at work the day prior. Gacy got the teen drunk and proceeded to wrestle him on the floor and cuff Antonucci's hands behind his back. The cuff upon Antonucci's right wrist, wrist was loosed. Antonucci freed his arm from the handcuff after Gacy left the room. When Gacy returned, Antonucci, a member of his high school wrestling team, pounced upon him. The youth wrestled Gacy to the floor, obtained possession of the handcuff key, and cuffed Gacy's hands behind his back. Gacy screamed threats, then calmed down and promised to leave if Antonucci removed the handcuffs. The youth agreed, and Gacy left the house. Antonucci later recalled that Gacy had told him as he laid on the floor, not only are you the only one who got out of the cuffs, you got them on me. That is just some, wow. Some shit. He knows exactly what he's, yeah. what he's doing, except he made the mistake of letting somebody free because now he's going to yeah. get caught. So, so it's really a mistake, which is glad he got free. Oh, my Lord. So we talk about modus operandi in subduing his victims. And let's reiterate more in detail what Gacy's code stood for. After plying a youth with drink, drugs, or generally gaining his trust, Gacy would produce a pair of handcuffs occasionally as part of a clowning routine, and oh, we will get to that, which he would persuade his intended victim into dying. With his victim manacled and able to free himself, Gacy would then make a statement to the effect of, the trick is, well, you have to have the key, before proceeding to rape and torture his captive. He would finish with the rope trick, placing a rope over his victim's neck and tying a makeshift tourniquet until the victim was strangled to death. Oh my gosh, I wonder if he tightened it and read Bible verses to them each oh, time. Oh, that's just... That would be fucking crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. But on July 28, 1975, not even a week later, 17-year-old John Botikovich, a, PD, or a PDM employee, confronted... Gacy that he was owed several several weeks in back pain. How does Gacy respond, you might ask? Maybe paying his employees back? <laughs> Remember, this is Killinois with Burden Camp. Yep. Like many, Gacy lured or lured Botikovich into his house while his wife and stepchildren were again out of the state under the pretense of settling the or out of the state under the pretense of settling the issue of Botogovich's overdue wages. Gacy conned the youth into allowing his wrist to be cuffed behind his back. I don't know why. I don't know how that happens, but 
at which point Gacy then strangled him to death and buried his body under the concrete floor of his garage. Actually, Gacy later admitted to having to sit on the kid's chest for a while before killing him, so oh. that's a fun fact. And Butkovich, I'm sorry if I'm saying his last name right or wrong, Butkovich, Butkovich's uh, Dodge sedan was found abandoned in a parking lot with the youth's wallet inside, oh. and the keys still in the ignition. His father called Gacy, who claimed he was happy to help search for the youth, but was sorry that he might have ran away. Gacy was questioned about his disappearance, and appeared that the youth and two friends arrived at his apartment demanding Botikovich's overdue pay, but claimed all three youths have left after a compromise that had been reached. Over the following three years, the parents called police more than a hundred times, oh, urging and urging and urging them to investigate the Gacy further. Oh, oh, that's... And if only they did, if only they if did. If only they did. But while Gacy was on his murder spree, and this is where this gets really, really like, oh, we get next level. <laughs> while Gacy gets on his murder spree, he continues, uh, his well, his neighbors in Norwood Park considers him gregarious and helpful. And he starts to develop this reputation of being a pillar in his community. Uh, he was active in his local in his local neighborhood and hosted annual summer parties. He became active in Democratic Party politics, initially offering the labor services of his PDM employees free of charge. Gacy was rewarded for his community services by being appointed to serve upon Norwood Park Township Light Street Lighting Committee. He subsequently earned the title of precinct captain. Now, back in those days, especially in the daily era of uh, Chicago uh, politics. Being a precinct captain, you were HNIC. You were the head nigga in charge. So, when it came... You might still be today if you're not a dick. Yeah. So, when it came to uh, patronage and voting, like, you were really a man about time. You run shit. And that's just how it was with John Wayne Gacy. In 1975, he was appointed director of Chicago's annual Polish Constitution Day Parade. <laughs> And he supervised the annual event from 1975 to 1978. And through this park with his work with the parade, Gacy met and was photographed with First Lady Rosalind Carter on May 6, 1978. A perfect distraction. What a perfect freaking distraction. And and while we're talking about distractions, Gacy became aware of a Jolly Joker clown club. Wow. Whose members dressed as clowns but perform in crowd-raising events. This is stuff just wow. As a result of that knowledge, Gacy had joined the Jolly Jokers and created his own performance characters, Patches the Clown and Pogo the Clown. Yes, folks, because when you thought you heard everything, a fucking serial killer clown. Yeah. And that's back when Bozo the Clown was around. Yes! Oh! In Chicago, nonetheless. My God. Mm-hmm. It gets even crazier. This is, this, other than this and the book It by Stephen King, that's probably why I don't like clowns. I always like clowns. You know, my mom was on, on uh, Bozo the Clown, like, when it was in the 60s Oh, and that's stuff. cool. Yeah, she yeah, did the, totally go on it still. She did the, when, you know, when you put the ball in the, uh, in the little, uh, sick, the six buckets 
and thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was the best, that was the best, like, school game when they had the oh, long cuts and shit. Man. I was so good at that. And the, and the goldfish one. Oh, man. Oh, those were the days. So... Gacy designed his own costumes and taught himself how to apply clown makeup, although some professional clowns noted the sharp corners. Gacy was known to have performed as pogo and patches in numerous local parties, democratic party functions, charitable events, and children's hospitals. He would arrive already dressed in his clowning garb at a favorite drinking venue called the Good Luck Lounge. Several occasions with the explanation he had just performed at a charitable event and was stopping for just a local dr- a social drink before heading home. But this is like a real life crusty the crown, huh? So oh, man. we have some posted some photos of Gacy as a clown on our Facebook page. And uh, yeah, if you want to have some nightmares, I uh, <laughs> suggest you go try looking at that shit with the lights out. Night, guarantee you won't be sleeping. And that said, you know that's part one of our. Uh, John Wayne Gacy special, and next time on Illinois, we're going to fast track a couple of years later, where John Gacy really amps up his murder spree, and we f- go to 1978, where Gacy encounters his last victim, and the subsequent investigation towards that victim, which the story in of itself is just really mind blowing to say the least. So, Cam, what? Wow, where, where do we begin? Where do we start? This shit's insane. And for all the victims and the victims' families uh, that are um, affected by uh, John Wayne Gacy, we apologize that we can't get to every murder victim. Uh-huh. Each and every story is very, very important to us. It is. Um, but we still want to keep the audience coming and flowing. So. Right. And I mean, uh, one of the things is that John Wayne Gacy is one of the most prolific serial killers in American history. Now, other than Gary Ridgway, who was the Green River uh, murderer. Uh, and H.H. So, Holmes. Don't forget And H.H. Holmes. Holmes. We'll get to H.H. Holmes. But <laughs> Gary Ridgway was uh, found to have killed 48 victims. Women. Next to that list, the known victims, John Wayne Gacy with 33. So this is just a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of victims, a lot of uh, <laughs> Information it hits home to us because yeah. we have family that grew up during this time. Exactly. We had aunts, uncles, nieces, nephews, mm-hmm. fucking our parents growing up in this time. Exactly. I had a friend who was telling me that her uncle worked with him when he was a clown, which is fucking weird, which is super fucking weird. I, I talked to a couple of people. I follow a um, murder group on Facebook. Um, I found some other people who love murder represent. That's awesome. And they were just telling me that they've had experiences with Casey. And some say he was a very nice guy. And he's very well spoken, which shows his, you know, charisma. Yeah. And then others say he was just an asshole. So it can really, really go two ways on it really how people like, it's look no, at It's Casey. no in between, it seems like. You either love the guy or you hated his guts. Yeah. And there's some people that say... He had an IQ of a child, but from what it seems like, he's very um, understanding of his surroundings and what Uh he's doing and why he's doing it. Um, We did get a message, which was, it very much opened our point of view, which is very, very awesome. I never even looked at it this way. 
Um, should we wait till? I'd say we wait till the next next special. So okay. that's something we because it's re- very very interesting. There he is, and it offers it a unique kind of what we say, which is very cool. So I'm fucking excited. Yeah, and on that note, guys, we thank you so much. Um, head back uh, again. You can where can where can they find us on the social media? You can get us at, uh, if you want to email us, KillinoisPodcast at gmail.com. If you want to follow um, my, I, I honestly don't know my Twitter handle. I fucking suck. But my Instagram Insta- is Instacam630. Is that one Instacam too? I think they're both Instacam630. So check me out. I'm fun. Somewhat. And you can <laughs> find me on Birdman for America on Twitter. Instagram on Virgin Enthusiasm, and of course, our joint Facebook and Instagram, Killinois with Burden Camp. And on that note, we will see your asses down the road. Peace out, Girl Scouts. Toos.